Welcome to Guys Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher, and I got Craig Fisher on the show today to talk about the Colossian syncretism, about uh, Gnosticism, about mystery cult religion, again, about Platonism within the book of Colossians. Yeah, I, I first saw this book and I was really excited about it because when you go to Colossians 2.18 and try an interpretation, you have a a participle in a, in a word, imbatuo, and it doesn't seem to make sense. You, you know, they're really trying to understand and then how it got translated, even if you look at the various translations. I don't think these people really understood, you know, how to fit Othello uh, in there and the word imbatuo and, and what they meant. But I think uh, Clinton Arnold here does a real good job in finding out what's going on in Colossians 2.18. And so we will be taking a look at, at uh, Colossians 2, uh, particularly Colossians 2.18, and how he reads various uh, various uh, passages, various uh, clauses, we'll say. Uh, let me pull up our screen and we'll take a look. All right. So this is in his part two, Reconstructing the Colossians Philosophy. And if we pull up the verse, we could see... This is the English translation from the ESV. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And uh, he, he concludes about the first part, about the worship of angels. Here's his conclusion, which I think is important that uh, this represents a practice involving invoking angels for protection, help, deliverance, and takes us, he says it takes us a long way towards identifying the matrix of beliefs in the Colossians' syncretism. And so you'll see that in some of the initiation rituals that there is this call for blessing. There's this call for an angelic or deity help when, when you're doing the platonic ascent, we'll say. And uh, he covers that a little bit later. But, uh, Craig, uh, any thoughts about that first part? Well, I don't know about the first part, but the phrase that he uses, that Elra can embatoon, I think that's a key phrase. And you, you look at it, you have certain questions about it. One is that uh, that pronoun, ah, refers to these things or something like that. And, and the two elements before it were both in the feminine now all of a sudden you have a pronoun that's you know, the plural neuter is that pronoun is that the object of the roken which is seen or is it the object of embatuon which is a participle focusing on entering into something and so that would be that it says let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism so asceticism was a fairly typical aspect of mystery cult initiation, a purification ritual in which you uh, forego fleshly desires, uh, you fast, uh, you, you do ritual bathing. When, when you read The Golden Ass in that book, he does a ritual bathing before he uh, goes through the initiation ritual. Asceticism. Uh, clearing yourself from anything physical. And we hear about this in uh, Plato when he's discussing also the mystery cults. Again, this is a very prominent feature that 
shares qualities between not only Gnosticism, but Platonism, Neoplatonism, Mystery Cultism, and even early Christianity. There was a lot of Christian aesthetics running around that people who would like live on the top of pillars and think they're really holy for just just uh, neglecting the flesh. And that seems to be what he's he's talking about here. And so, oh, go ahead. When, when you look at the original Greek, uh, insisting, that's just the Greek word delo, which means um, uh, I wish or something like that. And you can either, he takes it casually here, in changing I wish into I insist or in, to insist. Uh, and uh, there's another way to take it, and that's uh, as a, if it's an ellipsis, you know, like wishing to take a stand, which I know is interpreted on like the King James Version, wishing in the, to take a stand as a ellipsis. It's not in the original, but they had to, they had to provide something for the, the wishing. And, the, and uh, that's, that's a possible interpretation, but um, when we look at the other side of, of the embatuo, and, and he uh, intruding into those things, he, intruding in batao, well, it's from two words, in, which means in, and batuo, kind of might, I think it means a trampling of. So they're trampling into something. And <clears throat> all the all the English definitions, if you go to uh, all the uh, parallel interpretations, I think they're really missing uh, those two words. They're either uh, putting another word in for wishing or then the one that means to enter in, they're, they say something like going into detail, but I think they're missing what they're trying to say here and what... Uh, Mr. Arnold is explaining to us. So I think it'll be rather interesting today. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about the mystery cults. Mystery cults were these ancient secret organizations who thrived on having initiates integrate themselves into a secret philosophy, which was enforced at the pain of death. There's, there's a, there's a story of Athenian youth sneaking into one of these Eleusis mysteries and then being put to death because they weren't allowed in. They weren't initiates. And so profaning the mysteries was, in fact, a big deal. And so I did pull out a passage from George Milonius's and his book on Eleusis and the Eleusian Mysteries, which goes through the various days in one of the rituals. You'll notice on the seventh day... Uh, they have a night long, long party. There's initiations. They, they reenact uh, scenes from Greek mythology. And so there's a secretive phase in which they go into some sort of room and focus on some sort of focus item. And this is supposed to give them some sort of spiritual, spiritual experience, some sort of enlightening by which they enter a rebirth. And you hear him say that down here that uh, they are the Athenians to constitute the perfect enormous illumination that has descended from the unportrayable one, some sort of illumination. And we also see this when, when uh, the Jerusalem temple is invaded 
And Pompeius, Pompey, General Pompey, he goes into the Jewish temples, goes into the Holy of Holies, and guess what's there? There's no focus item. He's confused. He thought these mystery cults have focus items for this uh, initiation ritual. He can't find it. He thinks their mysteries are empty. They have nothing to contemplate. But scrolling down, we'll look at a couple quotes from there's, uh, Apollinus. He's the one who wrote The Golden Ass. And uh, he talks about, as well, this this initiation, this rebirth process, this becoming enlightened. And we'll go down to here where this is uh, Plato. He's talking about the mystery cults. He says, I conceive that the founders of the mysteries had a real meaning and were not mere triflers when they in imitated a figure long ago that he who passes unsanctified and uninitiated into the world below will live in slough. But he who arrives there after initiation and purification will dwell with the gods. Going on, he says, he who is a philosopher of lo or lover of learning and is entirely pure at departing is alone permitted to reach the gods. There's an initiation. There's, there's an ascent process. So in Phaedus, Plato relates, he says this, 10,000 years must elapse before the soul of each one can return to the place from which she came. For she cannot grow her wings unless only the soul of a philosopher, guileless and true, or a soul of a lover who is not devoid of philosophy may acquire wings. He talks about the asceticism in this passage as well. Uh, going on, and therefore the mind of the philosopher alone has wings and is just, for he is always, according to the measure of his abilities, clinging in his recollection to those things in which the God abides, in which God abides, and in beholding which he, he is what he is, and he who employs all all right, these memories is ever being initiated into the perfect mysteries and alone becoming truly perfect. The idea of the mysteries is this ascension and unification with deity. And so uh, Plotinus, uh, he also relates. So Pl Plato, he's writing around, you know, 300 AD, a little bit after that. Uh, Pl Plotinus is about 600 years later, about 300 AD. He says, uh, he talks about the holy celebrations of the mysteries. These are poor, pointed purifications and laying aside of garments worn before, and entry in nakedness until passing on the upward way. All that is other than God, each in the solitude of himself, shall behold that solitary dwelling existence, the apart, the unmingled, the pure, that from which all things depend, for which all look and live and act and know the source of life and of intellection and of being. So the mystery cults was about ascension into the spiritual realm, unification with God, seeing the ultimate deity. And we get that throughout. And so this entering, uh, our friend here, Clinton Arnold, uh, he writes that this entering, this word used here, is pretty typical of this initiation ritual in which you enter the secret mysteries. I'll, I, I highlighted some stuff. Yeah, you see, these are all parallel to what's going on in, in Ephesians 2, for, <clears throat> for you see that uh, in Ephesians 2a, it says, no one take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tr tradition, the elemental forces of this world, rather than Christ. <clears throat> and then it goes on to talk about the purifications that are necessary 
talks about the severe treatment of the body. It says, no, let no one be your judge in regard to eat or drink or a new moon. These are a shadow of things to come, <clears throat> but the reality is Christ. So this whole thing they're talking about on the purification and the initiation fees, almost all of these find <clears throat> uh, it, are, are repeated in Paul's sec, uh, second letter to the Colossians. So I, when you're looking at that and making a comparison between the two, <clears throat> it's seems that Paul is renouncing these mystery cults that are being referenced here. Right. Uh, our, our author, Clinton Arnold, he, he takes us through some inscriptions about initiation in the mysteries. One of the translations are, these men were initiated and then they entered. They entered is the same word that Paul is using in Colossians 2.18. Scrolling down, they talk about an individual receiving the mysteries and then entering. And he just gives a whole bunch of different references. And so there's some argument among scholarship what exactly this means. Did they just enter physically and just ask the oracles something and then leave? And he makes a fairly com compelling case that this is actually like an ascension rite. This is actually a part, part of the whole initiation process that... It's just not a physical entering. He says, as Ramsey reiterates in a different context, the use of the term M. Bateu highlights the ultimate meaning of the right to the initiate, union with the deity, a, uh, quote, new life, unquote. And now he quotes Ramsey. The term evidently indicates the climax or final act in the mystic ceremonial. After being initiated or receiving the mystic things and words indicated by those words, they performed the act called Imbatuiomen, symbolizing they had entered a new life and intended to continue therein. This is the initiation climax. This is what Paul is referencing within uh, Colossians 2.18. Let no one cheat you of your war. Take delight in false humility. This is the New King James and worship of angels introducing into those things which he has not seen so being initiated into those mysteries and there there is some conversation if you want to talk about the translation in here things which he has not seen versus in the esv things that uh, visions that's just a textual variant issue uh, if yeah, you look we, at the oh go ahead we don't know if, if paul was was initially um, <clears throat> challenging those things, saying that they haven't really seen those things, but they, they certainly claim to have seen them things. But Paul, maybe uh, <clears throat> whether it's have not seen those things or seen those things, um, he's, he's saying those things aren't real. They're puffed up imaginations that result from a severe treatment of the a body and then going into uh <clears throat> into some kind of trance where they where they see visions or something yeah if you you look at augustine as the model he he goes through a similar ascension that parallels the mystery cults parallels platonism they all had ascension rights augustine's ascension he describes in his confessions he says this and thus by degrees i was led upward 
from bodies to the soul, which perceives them by means of bodily sense, and from there on to the soul's inward facility, to which the body's senses report outward things, and this belongs even to the capacities of the beast, and thence upon up to the reasoning power, to whose judgment is referred experience received from the body. He's, he's talking about different stages of the scent. He goes from the body... It goes to the soul. He goes from the soul. He goes up to reasoning power. From reasoning power, he goes up to intellectual principle. And we threw its thoughts from experience, abstracting itself from contrary thong of phantoms in order to seek for the light which is bathed. So he, he eventually, he says, he arrived at that which is. And I saw thy invisible self, you know, the understanding by means of things which are made, I was not able to sustain my gaze. My weakness was dashed back, and I lapsed again into my accustomed ways, <laughs> carrying along with me nothing but a loving memory of my vision, an appetite for what I had, as it were, smelled the odor of, but was not yet able to eat. So in Augustine's mind, you're able to just get glimpses of the ultimate reality, of, of the ultimate God. Uh, Plotinus also talks about this in his Aeneids at, at a very rare a section which he talks about personal experiences he talks about just briefly being able to attain that vision of the one before being thrust down to the earth the idea is that we are mortal creatures we have souls these souls drag us downwards we can only attain glimpses for very brief times before we're thrust back down again they all have this ascent language it, it's it's the, it's all the same thing as i argue in my book uh in uh, the God is Open book, and I will be arguing in a future book as well. If you look at Augustine, the whole purpose of his conversion, when you read in Confessions, and you can read it, it's in there. He doesn't deny this, but he, he has to purify himself in order to see God. This purification process included fasting and other things, but the, the biggest thing holding Augustine back was that he had a sexual appetite, so he had a mistress, so he was engaged. Uh, he could never get rid of that sexual appetite, but in his conversion experience, where it starts out, take up and read, you know, a little girl was reading that or something. <clears throat> his conclusion of his conversion experience is that uh, in Platonism, he was trying to take this vision and see God, but he couldn't do it because he still had a sexual appetite, but Catholicism helped him get rid of his uh, sexual appetite. So his conversion experience is summed up in his words, I no longer had the need for a woman. But it's it's this ecstatic vision that they're talking about right here that was uh, in Platonism, that was in the mystery religions. This is what uh, their focus is. This is what they're trying to do. Yeah, I'm trying to find where he, he talks about uh, Mithras and and that initiation as well. I highlighted it, but it's uh, kind of disappearing from me. Yeah, when you look at this, uh, the thing that excited me about reading this book is that I was well aware of the uh, initiation process that uh, Plotinus had, that Porphyry describes in the book, The Aeneids. Uh, but that's, you're looking at 3rd, 4th century A.D. But Paul is speaking from a 1st century A.D. perspective. And, and when I saw uh, <clears throat> that Mr. Arnold here, 
had put together what Paul was talking about in the first century AD with this initiation experience and this going into an ecstatic vision, uh, trying trying to see God. Uh, that's where I, I, I really enjoyed his book and, and what, what he had found out and what he saw because it put together Paul in the first century with uh, his denunciation of the mystery cults that required this purification ceremony in order to see God in their mind. And so this is the part I was talking about, the Mithras liturgy. <clears throat> he talks about the different stages. So they, there's a tradition, author of the text describes what he's writing down. Uh, there's a process by which in the, in the initiation, it provides deliverance from dreaded fate and the threat of hostile supernatural powers. So in this in this ascent, there's there's a portion in which you start ascending into the ether. You go up to a part of the heavens in which there's hostile deities. Now maybe 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 it might be the equivalent of some people talk about in their DMT trances where they have hostile machine elves that maybe attack them or 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 are malicious, something like that. And so they they create these charms in order to protect themselves from the hostile deities so that they could transcend this level as well and then get to the actual deity, see what they're truly trying to see. And so here's what he writes. He says, this is followed, uh, being attacked by the hostile deities and ascending that. This is followed by the initiate gazing on the immortal beginning with the immortal spirit, that he might be born again in thought, and that the sacred spirit may breathe in him. Finally, he's granted a vision of the immortal Aeon. And Aeon is a term that you're going to find in a Gnostic literature. There, there's, there's different uh, Aeons that spawn from God and successions, things like that. But he's, he's visit, envisioning perhaps ultimate reality in this vision. So we, if we scroll down, he talks about the dietary and purity regulations. We talked about Apollinus, uh, or uh, I might be saying the guy's name wrong, the golden ass, the guy who wrote that, who, who talks about his purification ritual for initiation into the mystery of Isis. In the Mithras as well, you had those deity and purity regulations. Think back to Paul in or Colossians 2, where he's talking about asceticism. He says, insisting on asceticism, people are delighting in the neglect of the body. To Paul, we don't neglect our bodies. Our bodies are, are real things. We, we, we really can eat and, and do what we want because our bodies are our bodies. We don't become more pure or more righteous by dietary laws, anything like that. And then he talks about new moons as well. Mystery rites performed on certain days during new moons. And this language harkens back as well to Colossians 2, where he talks about new moons and, and time frames. And he says, don't pay attention to this stuff. Paul is identifying here mystery cultism. And again, uh, it's very much linked with Platonism. They have the same rites. Uh, Plotinus, he, he focused on aestheticism an individual ascension to the gods that's that's his whole thing he died because he he, he has shoot, shoot all all medicine 
and uh, he just let himself wither up and die. That's what we're dealing with here. This asceticism, mystery cultism, Platonism, their ascent to the immortal. Yeah, and, and there's a real connection in this asceticism, which is severe treatment of the body. If you go into Hindu uh, mystic philosophy, all these yogis, they're, they're not eating and they're meditating. They're trying to transcend. And, and uh, <clears throat> the Beatles, they, they tried to get into Hinduism for a while. They thought they would transcend, but they decided they'd use the fast way. That's by hallucinogenic drugs, LSD. And they could get to the same place these Hindu mystics and, and yogas were going with the use of drugs. So this DMT philosophy is very much connected. It's going from the real world into this mystical world through the use of drugs and the use of uh, severe treatment of the body. All, all these things are connected. Augustine uh, used all this to try to ascend, to see that light. And, and, uh, it's They're not all the same, but, but they're connected. It's the same method. It's what they're using. Uh, rather than going through the Bible, using your mind, using uh, reasoning uh, to read and to understand. Paul says in Ephesians 3, when you read this, you can understand. We, we read and we understand with our minds. We're not trying to disconnect our minds from reality in order to see God. Yeah, you, see, you can see Paul's criticism of this philosophy. Yeah. He says, if if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human pre precepts and teachings. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom. He's saying this asceticism, this, this body torture, self-torture, this eschewing, all, all, all pleasure. These things have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying this, this stuff is worthless. Uh, this, all, all this stuff doesn't benefit us. So it's, it's a pretty heavy handed criticism of what we're talking about. And it's fairly well identified with mystery cults and Platonism. The book author though, if you look up Platonism, he only has one reference. And this is my criticism of him, is that if you turn to the reference, it's a very dismissive reference saying, oh, they're not really talking about Platonism. Yeah, but if you if you look at the quotes, you look at Plato describing the mystery cults, you look at the Plotinus, they're talking about the same thing. They're talking about the same ascent. So I'm not sure how much familiarity Clinton Arnold has with Platonism and Platonistic ascension, but uh, I he doesn't he doesn't actually make an argument. He just makes a claim that that the two are unrelated. So he it's yeah, it's I, not a defense. I, I have a guess, and uh, I I certainly don't have his actual words. But he's a professor at um, uh, T, the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University, and I assume he has some kind of religion, whether it's Calvinism or Arminianism or, or traditional, some kind of systematic philosophy that looks at Platonism and what Augustine introduced into the church in this Platonic philosophy. And he, 
he doesn't want to uh, criticize Platonism. I don't have any direct evidence about it, but that's my guess why he he dismisses uh, Platonic uh, Platonism as a a type of syncretism here. Yeah, and I think it'd definitely be a mistake to say Platonism was its own thing and mystery cultism was its own thing. There's not uh, interbreeding. There, there's not uh, a syncretism between those two. There's there's not one bleeding over to the other and the other bleeding backwards. It, it's th the whole grain of society. That's, the, that's one of the points of his book that I like very much is he, he points out that this paragraph here, in Colossians is not about a specific mystery cult. The entire culture is trending towards these ritual ascents, these, these ritual initiations, this mystery cultism. Everything's kind of taking the same form. And you can read it when you're looking at all how those various initiation rituals actually worked between the various cults. There's, there's a lot of overlap. And so the general shift of society oh I, I was reading a book the other day and it was about christianity taking over from rome in about the third century and it talks about these mystery cults and wh what big deals these were for those cities uh, this this is the central hub of their activity and the and the lifeblood of their city these are the things they care about this this is this is culturally ingrained within them uh, so much so that a lot of this stuff passes into Christianity. Mystery cult language is used. Gnosticism is used. Of course, Platonism is used throughout Christian writings. Uh, Nietzsche wrote that Christianity is Platonism for the people. And he's very much right that a lot of Platonistic themes are adopted by Christianity. And uh, maybe, maybe Platonism is a little bit Christianized as well. You have people like Plotinus arguing with the Gnostics. They're... They're the same people, Gnostics, Plotinus, the Christians of that era, the mystery cultists. They're, they're all in the same world, fighting for the same ideological world space. And um, do you have the, the Greek uh, 218, Colossians 218? Yeah, I got, uh, let's go with uh, Texas Receptus first. Can you get rid of all those references? <laughs> I can't. I don't think. I don't think it lets me. Oh no! Do you have a different version? That uh, I got Westcott Hort with them. No. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Yeah, if you look at the Greek. Oh, here we go. This one works. Oh, thank you. The Greek starts out Colossians two eighteen. Let no one take you captive. That is a. Uh, uh, that's a verb that uh, is a command. And then the next one starts our problems. It, it has the verb wishing, wishing in humility and um, worship of angels. And, and the, the idea is that, that doesn't, it's really hard to translate into the Greek. What's he trying to say there? And uh, as I said before, some people take this as causative meaning, uh, desiring in humility. But, but the problem is you got that ah in there, that A you see with two squiggles above it. That's a, a plural uh, neuter uh, pronoun. What does it refer to? Because both humility and uh, worship of angels is in the feminine. 
must be referring to both of those things. But I think it's an ellipsis. And I think what it means is wishing to take a stand. To take a stand is not in the actual Greek, but you have to supply it to understand what he's talking about. And so I, I think it's wishing to take a stand on uh, the humility and the worship of the angels. Things uh, which he has not seen are in the critical text, which he has seen. But what it's saying is, He's imagining. He's going into the second stage, third stage, whatever of the of this uh, asceticism, and going into his own mind. And he's as he enters in, he's looking at things which he hasn't seen that are puffed up by his fleshly mind. In these visions that are puffed up by his fleshly mind, they can be. You know, you can argue that maybe he's seeing them in a vision, but they're not re really real, so he's not seeing them. But, but however you want to interpret that. But uh, he's entering into something. Now, and that's really, in all the translations I've looked at, I've never seen him uh, consistently arguing the thelon, or they drop one or the other out. And sometimes they translate in Batu and as a, uh, looking into details, but it doesn't mean that. It's made up of <coughs> two Greek words, in and batao, which means uh, to trample. So he's trampling in. It's like he's a bull in a china shop. He's trampling into this area, looking at things. And uh, in this vision, in the second stage of the ascent, second, third, or final stage, whatever. So I, I think that's a lot better understanding uh, than we have from these other translations, which are trying to preserve uh, some form of Platonism that's acceptable to Christianity. Yeah, so one thing the author also does is uh, he minimizes the use of shadow language. Now, if anyone remembers, there was a Samuel something debate with uh bob inyart on theology online samuel lamidson and uh, he made actually a good point that paul is probably referring to uh, the samuel lamerson made a good point that paul's probably alluding to plato's allegory of the cave within this passage and i think he's right and so you could kind of get a sense that if he's if paul here is talking <laughs> If he's talking about this inward ascent, uh, ascending yourself to a level of reality that's hidden and seeing the hidden things and being able to look into ultimate truth, that is what the allegory of the cave actually is about. It's not about some idea of, oh, you could be smarter than the masses and you could transcend against uh, people who just watch TV if you read enough books or something like that. Uh, Plato's talking about the Platonic ascent. And so the allegory of the cave, fairly famous, is the idea that there's these people and they're chained up on this wall and all they can see is shadows of the real world. And so they hear the shadows talk, the, the people are actually talking, but they hear the echoes and it sounds like the shadows are actually talking, but it creates an illusion in their mind. They think these shadows are the real thing. 
they think these shadows are actually conversing, but they're in a position where they don't have direct visualization of the reality of the situation. He says, suppose you take one of these people who are chained up and you drag them to the outside world to show them true reality. And so now they get a sense of what things are. You drag them back to the cave and they will try with all their might to explain reality to the fellows who are chained up in the cage, but they're going to reject him. They may even kill him for that because they are stuck in the realm of the shadows. They are stuck in this realm of uh, it's it's the fake. It, it's it's just, just a vision or a, a sub-reality of the real reality. They just don't have access. They can't comprehend that real world. And so that fits very well with how he's using this. He, he basically says that uh, this asceticism, uh, discard it. Uh, he says that... Uh, Oh, where did the shadow language run off to? That's up in 16 or yeah. 17. He says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So remember the allegory of the cave. There's the shadow and then there's the substance. He's saying the substance is Christ. You, you guys, you don't. it's Jesus. You guys don't have to do this whole aesthetic ascent to the one. These things aren't real. And he's, what is he saying that's not real? He, he's saying the ascent to the mystery religion, Platonistic one, is not real. He's using their own terminology, it looks like. He's subverting it and using it against them to make a rhetorical point that those things are the fake things. They think those things are the real things. They think this initiation is giving them some sort of profound wisdom. He's saying, no, it doesn't. Those are the fake things focused on Jesus. Yeah, and if, if you remember the, the Colossian syncretism, you know, one thing's not pure of the other. There's not pure philosophy, Plato, and there's not pure Gnosticism. He's, he's talking about a synchronization between the two. And when you look at verse 16, you got questions of food or drink or a festival new moon. All those find um, analogies in the mystery religions. The only thing that doesn't is that Sabbath. The Sabbath is a very Jewish thing. It refers to a Jewish custom. But um, remember, like the Hasidic Jews, the Jews you see walking around Jerusalem with the big black hats, and they're all dressed in robes, and their women wear long skirts. They're dressed in black. These aren't conservative Jews. They're, they, these are mystic Jews, and they're into Jewish mysticism which is a, synchron, a synchronization itself you know, between uh, the real Torah and be, between this mysticism that they that they love. So Jewish mysticism has been around for a long time, and <clears throat> it's, it's one of the elements of the things that Paul's looking at here in Colossians 2. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, th I think that about covers it. Um, do you Did we miss any aspects that uh, you want to cover still? I just want to stress that that this uh, this ascent, this trying to find God in your own mind by going through a, a purification ritual, and then and seeing something in your mind, this is for a long time uh, been antithetical uh, to Christianity. Christianity is discursive thought. You get a revelation from God; He speaks to you in discursive language. You can understand it; it's rational. 
most of the time Paul will say, I'm speaking to you simply in simple words. I'm not trying to to veil my words, but I'm just telling you the way it is and, and, and like it is. So if you go to the Bible and look at it, accept it for what it says, most of the time the Bible is is speaking rationally and speaking to us so that we can understand. We we are rational human beings and God is reaching out to us in a rational way. He's not trying to reach us through mysticism by going into our own minds and trying to find God there. If you if you try to to block out the outside world and go into your own mind and look for something, you might find something. But I, I don't think it's something from God. Yeah, I think a very important aspect is what Paul is condemning within Colossians 2 was adopted and championed by Christians at two and a half centuries later in Augustine and people like Ambrose, people like Clement of Alexandria, people like Philo during the time of Paul, while Paul was living. This is the stuff he's condemning. It becomes mainstream in Christianity uh, that their, their theory of how the world works, the model of the world, their model of who God is, how the divine world function, all that becomes standard. And now you reach modern times They've dropped the ascent language, but they have kept all the rest of that stuff. This this is the stuff that Paul was condemning, and uh, we we would be we would do well to point out how corrupted the early church was because they specifically did the things that Paul condemns. The heroes of the church would have been condemned by Paul. Exactly. Yes. Thank you, Chris. This is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good book. So the Colossian Syncretism, and uh, you sent me this book, so I don't know how maybe you can find it on Amazon or something like that. I got a little uh, bookmark from my daughter here. It's on Amazon, but I got it through something else. It was a lot cheaper. I bought it used. Oh, okay. So it's only 10 bucks to get it used. It's a good book. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for uh, talking with me about this. I think it's a very important subject. And so I thank everyone else for coming on. If you have questions or comments, put that down below or start a thread in the God is Open Facebook group. Thanks for listening.